Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of repentance. When I repented of my sin, I was going this way away from God, and I turned around and walked towards God. It's like a man that is walking uphill and the wind is blowing down upon him and it's hard to make progress going up. And all of a sudden, he turns around. Man, there's no resistance. He turned, he repented. Now, did the wind change? Nope. But what is the condition of, of God repenting? Is that man turns, man changes direction. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In recent years, educational studies have discovered that different people have different styles of learning. Some learn best through verbal interaction, such as lectures or books. Others learn visually. Seeing images or symbols helps them to remember or communicate information. Still others learn experientially, interacting in physical environments in order to understand them. Jonah, it would seem, is an experiential learner. This reluctant prophet only learns when God places him in live-action parables. And continuing his expositional series of Jonah, Pastor Xavier describes how God led Jonah in an experience of grace in order to explain his mercy for the Ninevites. Let's listen. Jonah chapter 3 and 4. We have the preaching of Jonah to Nineveh and the preaching of God to Jonah. <laughs> the preaching prophet and the prophet who gets preached to by God. And what a contrast it is between those two. There are so many contrasts, there's so many lessons here that it's just incredible. As we've pointed out, Jonah is a, a great picture of us. A constant reminder of us. God has gone through great lengths to expose this man. We need to learn the lessons of Jonah. Let me read chapters 3 and 4. They're short. As you know, Jonah has uh, been in the belly of the whale. He has called out to God. God has heard him. The uh, whale, the sea monster, the great fish, has vomited him up on the land. He probably looks kind of funny, kind of whitewashed. Perhaps even um, his hair has fallen out. And he enters the city, as we're going to see. And certainly he was a sign, let alone a sight for sore eyes, as the men and women of Nineveh saw this guy coming in proclaiming a message that really was to their benefit, but it must have sounded real strange to the ears of those who heard it at first. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh, shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly 
and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord, and he says, O Lord, was not this that I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundance and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord says, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plan and made it come up overnight over Jonah, that it might be shade to his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plan. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and says, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he says, It is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much livestock? It almost seems like the book ends incomplete, doesn't it? But it is very, very complete as we'll see as we go through it. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, we have Jonah and the Word once again, as we did in the first chapter. Notice that the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah receives the Word of the Lord in the first two verses. Notice that it came a second time. The first time that it came was in chapter 1, and Jonah did not receive it. He ran to Tarshish. But as we saw God pursuing the prophet and preserving him in the whale, here God once again comes to Jonah. We must learn from the second commission that God will continue to use us and pursue us and call on us to be used over and over and over again. I think sometimes we think that once we have failed God, that's all over. God cannot use me. That's wrong. You remember Moses thought that the children of Israel would understand that God had chosen them to be the deliverer. But it wasn't until 40 years afterwards, then God came to Moses a second time. Even before Moses, we look at Abraham, God called Abraham out. In Genesis 11 and 12, and he only came to Haram, and then a second time the word of the Lord came to him, and then he came all the way out. A second time. How about Peter? Peter walked with the Lord. He says, Lord, I'll die. I'll never deny you. And yet he denied his Lord, and then a second time the word came to Peter, and there in John 21, he restored him. And you can go on and on and on, and I can point to men in, in history who God has continued to use. Now there's a caution here. We should never think that we can just make light of sin and continue in rebelliousness and think that God will overlook it. There's the caution. 
But where I am truly repentant, God will continue to call upon my name. That means I turn from my sin. God will continue. Notice that it was the same call in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. But this time, instead of crying, he says, preach to it. And he says, preach the message that I tell you. So important. You see, too often we, the preachers, preach our message rather than God's message. We start preaching our agenda for our ministry. We start trying to interpret the text rather than letting the text speak for itself. I have no right to stand behind this pulpit and tell you what I think. I have the awesome responsibility to communicate to you what God told the people and what it means to us. And then your responsibility is to check out that I'm not telling you lies. <laughs> we must go to the message of the Word of God. Now, Jonah obeyed the Word in verse 3. He says there he arose, he went according, and he went to Nineveh according to the Word of the Lord. Jonah was so obedient at this point. Now we're tracking him a day at a time. We can't read his heart. We don't know his motives. All we can do is check out his life by his actions at this point. And so we leave it there. The scripture says he was obedient according to what God had called him, and he went. Notice that once again God mentions that great exceeding city. Now the first time he mentions that in chapter 1, it's related to their sin. Their great wickedness had come up before God, that great city. And we mentioned about Nineveh being the city proper and then four cities around it with the suburbs and a great place where uh, not only a world empire but also just a place of, of many people. But now this time the great city is related to the size of the city. It says three days journey. Now there's arguments about whether Jonah, this is referring to Jonah's three day city across the diameter of it, around it. I could care less. Let's just say it's three days, whatever it is. It makes no difference. The main thing is Jonah was in the city and Jonah was preaching the word that God had given to him. And so Jonah preached the word of God in verse 4. He began to enter the city from the first day walk, and he cried out, listen to the message. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. In the Hebrew, five words. I don't read any love here. And as we go on, I know that they read, didn't read any love in the face of Jonah. Jonah may not even looked up. He may have just gone through the city just proclaiming, not looking to the right or the left. He's just saying, hey, 40 days and you guys are dead. How would you like to have that kind of message given to you for salvation? One thing for sure is that I know it would get your attention. I know it would get your attention. You would think that this guy is totally burned out and crazy or you think this guy's got something to talk about. One of the two. He goes through the city. Three days. Preaching the word. Beginning verse 5 to verse 10, we have the word and the Ninevites. Now remember all the word that Jonah has given. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown or destroyed. And so in verse 5 to 10, we have the word and the Ninevites. Notice first that the Ninevites responded to the word they heard. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put it on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. They believed. That speaks of faith. The Bible in Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
One of the greatest dangers and failures that take place in the Christian community is that we get away from the hearing of the Word of God. And when we start getting away from the hearing of the Word of God, you know what happens to our faith within God and for God? It starts waning. If this is a principle for the non-believer, the believer cannot believe unless he hears the Word of God, what should be the application for the believer? And I have seen that time after time as Christians get into difficulties of life and difficulties are normal. And because of those difficulties, we start waning on hearing the Word of God and therefore our faith becomes affected and our faith is just our trust in God. And all of a sudden our problems become compounded. They become worse because we're getting away from hearing the Word of God. Whether it be because of our pride, whether it be because of our embarrassment, whatever it may be. Listen, Satan will always say, don't go there, they'll know what's happening. Let's just say we know what's happening. Who cares? The most important thing is God knows what's happening. But don't cut yourself off from fellowship. Because I'll tell you what, you become spiritually anemic. And when a person becomes anemic, it affects their whole body, and before you know it, they're in the hospital. You need to hear the Word of God. More than you know it. More than you know it. Notice they gave evidence of contrition and repentance. They fasted. They put on sackcloth, speaking of mourning, sorrow, denial. And it was from the greatest to the least. I mean, this is an amazing thing. Now, from verses 5 through 10, many people have labeled this the greatest revival ever recorded. Now let's just for the sake of it take that label. But if you have been with us for any length of time, you know what the Bible tells about revival. True genuine revival is not for the non-believer. True biblical revival is for the believer. Who is God after directly? Jonah. He wants to revive Jonah. And indirectly, the Ninevites. But true biblical revival is always for the people of God to wake up from their lethargy, from their complacency, from their backsliding, from their carnality. And as a result of that revival, people see it in that life, and revival means back to life. Then that life energy and that life vision gets carried over to the community of non-believers, and the community gets affected, but not before the people of God. So in the true biblical sense, revival is for the believer, not for the non-believer. The non-believer is affected as a result of the believer becoming alive. Can God reach non-believers without the believer being affected? Surely we're going to see that in Jonah. Absolutely. And so they demonstrated true evidence of contrition, repentance. Notice in verse 6 down to 9 that even the Ninevite king responded to the word he heard. When the word came to the king... He arose and did the same thing. He laid his robe aside and he put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is that burly uh, goat skin uh, that you put in inwardly so that it afflicts you, kind of bringing pain to yourself, demonstrating your own unworthiness, your sorrow. But even the king noticed that he believed and gave evidence of contrition and repentance also. You see, if I'm truly repentant, if there's truly contrition, then there's going to be an outward evidence of that. Though there's a caution, as we're going to see, that outward evidence doesn't always demonstrate inward reality. We just don't know. The only thing that gives that reality is time. Notice that he tells his nobles and himself to make a decree that both man and beast are to afflict themselves, to deny themselves, and to give outward evidence to the message they have heard. You cannot say you believe the gospel if there is no outward evidence of that in your life. It is impossible. 
often I talk to Christians and they say, well, you know, I, I know the Lord and, and they're doing all kinds of things that, that don't go along with the Lord. Now, I understand that when people come to Christ, not everything changes at one time. God is very patient. He takes us along. And as you grow in the Word of God, then God will show you those things, reveal those things, and, and He'll take them away from you. And you'll see, wow, that's, that's not for me. But it's another thing when you are partaking of things that are clearly taught in Scripture that they're not to be in you and think that you still are a Christian. Jesus warned about that. He called it hypocrisy. He says the Pharisees do this. Hypocrisy means that you know it's wrong, but you're still doing it. And you're trying to show people that you're really not doing it. But there's a greater sin than hypocrisy. It's duplicity. That means that you go on beyond hypocrisy to live a double life and thinking that you're right. And you believe both lies. That's when you're really deceived. Your heart is hard. And you rationalize your state of life and your condition of life to say, hey, the Lord knows. Hey, God knows I'm His. For whatever reason, you may justify that. But that's worse than hypocrisy because now you're self-deceived altogether. You're not only trying to deceive others, but you have deceived yourself to the point where you believe you're right. That's real dangerous. That's an evidence of hardness of heart. To what? To all the promptings of God in your heart to turn, to turn, to turn, to let go. That's the end result. Notice in verse 8 that he told them to cry mightily to God and that everyone turn from their evil ways and from the violence in his hand. That means personal repentance. You see, the violence that is in your own hand, the evil that is in your own life, this is the evidence. Now, was not this why God was going to destroy Nineveh in chapter 1, verse 2? Their great wickedness had come up to God. I've given you some background on their cruelty and warfare and everything. And, and here the king says, hey, listen, you have to repent of the evil you're into. The very thing that you have at hand right now, you have to let go of it. But not before he says, cry mightily to God. There's the priority. First you cry, then you can let go. You try to let go of whatever you're into, you'll never cry out. Because you are unable to let go of your sin and whatever has you until you turn to God. It is through God that you're able to let go. You try to let go to hang on to God, you're going to have a difficult time. You're not going to make it. You may make it intellectually, but it'll never happen heart-wise. You have to turn to God and cry out to Him, and then He, by His mercy and His grace, will reach out and give you the strength and the wisdom and the discretion to let go. It has to be Him. It's not our positive thinking. It's not our own ability to deal with things. It's not what program we're into. But it's crying mightily to God, as He says here. Notice in verse 9 that he declared, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from the fierce, his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Do you know what the king repented on and asked the entire city of Nineveh to repent on? On a maybe. A maybe. Maybe he won't wipe us out. What an awesome thought that this king who was so perverse, this king, this whole nation that was so feared by many, as they heard the message of Jonah, they turned and repented on a maybe. And that's what the word repentance means, to turn. You're going this direction, you turn around. Now an interesting study would be the repentance of Jonah, the repentance of Nineveh, and the repentance of God. So you understand the difference between repentance. You see, we're going to see just basically the repentance of Jonah was not 
from the heart. It wasn't wholehearted. It was when he was in the whale. But that isn't, isn't that like us? We're in trouble? Oh yeah, Lord, I really mean it. <laughs> the repentance of Nineveh was genuine. The repentance of God is not like the repentance of man. You see, God's repentance is only in human words so that we may understand what God has done. But it's not like man's repentance. When I repented of my sin, I was going this way away from God, and I turned around and walked towards God. God's repentance, He continues in the same direction. And it's man that turns. It's like a man that is walking uphill, and the wind is blowing down upon him, and it's hard to make progress going up. And all of a sudden, he turns around. Man, there's no resistance. He turned, he repented. Now, did the wind change? Nope. The man changed his direction. But what is the condition of, of God repenting? Is that man turns. Did God really change? Nope. Man changed. Then you say, well, I thought you said that God always initiated. That's right. Who caused him to turn? You better believe it was God. But God never forced him to turn. He has that free will. And so God maintains consistency. The very same uh, love that He wants to pour out on you, if you're in sin, it becomes consuming fire. But if you turn, it becomes forgiving love. You know, I'm giving you the illustration of fire. You know, you put fire and you put wood into it, it gets consumed. You throw gold into it, it gets purified. Same fire. What's the difference? The material that's put into it. If you're walking away from God, He'll consume you. If you're walking towards God, He'll cover you. Who's changed? Not God, but man. So they change. They turn on a maybe. And so verse 10 says, Then God saw his works that they turn from their evil ways. See, there's the condition. First they turn from their evil ways, and God relented from disaster that he thought and said he would bring upon them. He didn't do it. And so God's word is true to what it proclaims. If God allows the Word of God to come to you and you turn and you believe it, then He says that He will forgive you and He will turn from the wrath that's upon you now. That's His Word. He can't lie. He can't repent like men. He can't lie like men. And therefore, if you take the Word of God, then He's working in your heart for you to respond to it, but He will never respond for you. And once you respond, then God will act on your behalf for your good, not for your evil. Because He is true, He is holy, He is just. And He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but that they might turn, Ezekiel says, and live. Now people say, well, how do we know that the uh, repentance of the Ninevite was genuine? Well, it says God saw their works. Now you and I see the outward manifestation, but here it's saying God saw the heart. God doesn't get overtaken by, oh yeah, look, he's doing pretty good, Gabriel. Look at him, he's doing, you know, no, he looks at the heart. He knows whether you're truly repentant. He knows whether you're truly wholeheartedly coming to God. You and I can deceive one another. We can walk around and say, boy, he's just so neat. But I can't see your heart. You can't see mine. But God says here, he saw their works. And their works were the evidence of their heart. In this case, it's not always the case. When I see your works, it's no evidence that your heart is right. I don't know, but God does. And that's the important thing. And so the word in the Ninevites, they responded. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and God's loving and forgiving response on display with the repentant Ninevites, as we find described in the book of Jonah today on Simple Truths. Now, you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And as we've had to break only part way through this study, we hope you'll be back next time for the conclusion. But if your schedule permits you to tune in, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Poison Prophet. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, that title once again is The Poison Prophet. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.